and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast, funded by the Legend of the Five Rings community Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Kova. And I'm Kikita Kaori. This week, we're going to be looking at loot and rewards for Legend of the Five Rings role-playing game. Given that Legend of the Five Rings is somewhat different from other games, there is obviously a lot to talk about. Yeah, there actually is. Uh, L5R really is uh, traditionally different from other games in terms of loot. So I thought we would talk about that first today. Um, when L5R was created, it was made as a little bit of a rebellion against Dungeons & Dragons, where you know the point of the game is to find things and people and you know kill them and take their stuff. That was pretty much the, the the primary game loop, as you might say. Right. But everybody likes to get stuff for their, get rewards for their gameplay. Um, when L5R was created, uh, it was intentionally created with some mechanisms in it to prevent that from happening. I believe that is why they included, although they did not have to, the whole idea of the Burakuman class cased and not being able to touch dead bodies. I think that's one reason why they didn't uh, didn't do that. Um, I think that also the the whole you get all your stuff from your daimyo. We've talked about that in terms of the economy is also kind of created to be a rebellion <laughs> against. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think ver- I think very much so. I mean, you, this was 1995. And I think there was a, quite a few games that were very specifically trying to push back against the standard Dungeons and Dragons mold, like Vampire the Masquerade had come out in 1991, and I think Legend of the Five Rings was very much part of that. It's trying to be a game that had more social consequences to what you were doing, but also wasn't about kill people, take their stuff, and murder hoboing. So some of the weird things, maybe unsettling things about L5R were specifically added to create this counter narrative, this or this counter gameplay to to that and make it so that you don't do things for that kind of reward. Also, the incorporation of honor and glory as rewards um, and a, a game mechanic was also, um, you know... We still want to get stuff. Yeah, and and also, although there are magic items in the game, there aren't really very many concrete rules for them, honestly speaking. And I think that's also part of it. You don't have this big, huge loot table of of magic carpets and magic rings and magic this (laughs) and magic that. In fact, um, in first edition, in the early editions of L5R, uh, such things were pretty much non-existent. They just fifth edition adds them uh, to a much greater degree than they were in early editions of L5R. So that's kind of sort of how we got here. You know why L5R is is different in terms of loot, and we have these elements of the world that go against that, but. We like stuff. We like to improve our characters. We like to get better. And so it's different now. Um, one you know, 
first of all, uh, the one thing that D&D and L5R and many other game systems, of course, share is the idea of earning experience during your uh, during your gameplay. So let's talk about experience. Mm-hmm. Experience points. There, it's quite different from actual Dungeons and Dragons, but yeah, you get experience points. You don't get the thousands that you get in D and D, and you don't go up levels with your experience points. You get experience points, and you can spend them, and that get, gets you up levels. But getting experience points is part of how you advance a character, and it's part of the reward. the The default is one XP per hour of play. And that's the guideline. And in a sense, that's not, I don't know whether you really call that a reward because everyone gets it depending, but there are discretionary rewards you can give. Yeah. Well, that's true. Reward of showing up and playing. But I I think the specific, when when we we talk about loot and rewards, I think the ones that you can get discretion, you can get uh, discretionally from the GM, that feels even more like a reward. Like, I did a thing, I got a prize. So basically, like you said, uh, in 5th edition, uh, experience points are awarded generally every session. Some GMs choose to differ from that, but I I feel like that's pretty normal. Um, You normally get, as you said, 1 XP per hour of play, and then you've got this discretionary bonus uh, of... Uh, they recommend in the books three to five XP when the party overcomes a significant obstacle. And um, the other thing that happens with XP, generally because it's your party level and you kind of want to keep your whole party on the same level, otherwise it's really hard to uh, give out threats uh, that are appropriate for your party. Um, but GMs can give individual... Uh, bonus XP for, they do say for very good role play, but you have this idea of you needing to balance your party. So maybe this per, as a GM, you could say you were the star role player this session and then make it somebody else the, the next session or something like that. Try and spread um, out, yeah. The, the other thing that people use XP for, which I think is good, is if you have a, a, a group, if you want your group to do bonus activities like making sure they take notes or drawing their maps or something like that, uh, giving XP as a reward for that is usually a really good incentive. And it is extra time. I find you do have to be – yeah, you want to try and be even-handed to make sure that everyone gets some kind of opportunity to do that because – if you end up with one person who can draw and they get XP for drawing and someone else can't, they can end up feeling like they're falling behind because they, they feel they can't contribute. But you could, should be able to find something for everyone to contribute and get some XP. Right. As, as again, you want your XP to be equal and spread around the party. Yeah, so that's talking about XP as a reward. And we can have a look at... Things like honor, glory, and status as rewards as well. So let's have a look at that. You can honor is generally awarded for sacrificing for honor, for doing things above and beyond, and things like that. So it should require some kind of sacrifice, either of your own personal needs or desires, um, and sometimes putting the character at some kind of risk. 
So like a physical danger or actually taking damage, which they didn't need to take, that kind of thing. Trifling is one point. A minor sacrifice would be three. Major six and massive can be nine. And you can also get boosts or sometimes losses due to resolved ninjo, which you have uh, established ahead of time. So that, that can be another way of getting a reward for honor. Right. Now, um, normally you win an award honor right after they do an honorable action. Uh, or otherwise, you have to take really good notes, <laughs> one or the other, and, and keep track of it. It is hard to keep track of it, so it's kind of one of those things. It's best to uh, know, af- you know, award right away. Now, things can happen where you have extremely high honor characters, um, you know, especially people who want to get their honor and they don't spend it a lot. That's that's great. But, uh, when you get to this very high end characters, you don't want to be, you know topping out the scale over 100 because the scale only goes up to 100. Indeed. <laughs> and this has been a problem for L5R through all the additions. And in old 5R, they kind of resolved it with a law of diminishing returns that I still think is effective for new 5R. After a certain point, an honorable character is expected to act honorably and expected to perform sacrifices for their honor. So Depending on your campaign, for these characters, if they are being really super honorable, especially if they're not getting hit with a lot of honor penalties, people don't like penalties too much because, you know, we never like something being taken away. You can slow down their honor gain. Uh, I suggest this like after rank 65 or rank 80. You slow down their honor gain through actions by a rank, at least, (laughs) so that it takes a minor sacrifice to get a one point um, honor gain. Uh, it takes a major sacrifice to get a three point. Yeah, you're shifting everything down. It takes a massive sacrifice to get a six point honor gain. Um, and then, you know, you can potentially do that again at the next honor rank up. Just just to slow down that. So not giving Zenny to uh, every pe- peasant that comes along gets you another um point of honor yeah we've discussed in in, in previous uh discussions on honor that fourth ed had a rather nice honor table which obviously doesn't quite translate to fifth edition but does give some ideas of what is considered honorable will change as you go up because once if you are just in the middle then pretty much anything is considered honorable because you're everyone's kind of go oh that 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 guy's doing an honorable thing didn't expect that of them. Well done. But when you get into the 80s, you are expected to behave in certain ways. And some things that actually were honorable previously, now that you're such a shining paragon, like like there's, there's a couple of things of, of accepting dishonorable behavior from your lord is honorable at lower levels because that's you putting duty ahead of your own feelings. But when you get into the 80s, you're such a shining paragon of honor that you should not allow people to do that. And that, which is an interesting change, and I think it's it's worth looking at just to get the ideas of how things can change at the high levels. But yeah, it can slow down a lot once you get into the eighties, and quite frankly, eighties is pretty good. Just as a reminder, we've talked about it before. Losses of honor should be forecast ahead of time. Um, gains of honor, however, do not have to be forecast. But 
be sure to tell the PC, look, you're doing something risky and challenging, and and this is not bad. Let them let them know that that you recognize that they are the first to. And, you know, put themselves at the invulnerability. They're taking the risk. I think that that's a good thing. And also have NPCs or encounters that advantage those with high honor. Um, And then NPCs or encounters that advantage those with low honor. That means that it doesn't matter if your party has dispersed honor. You know, some people have high, some people have low. You can let them differentiate that way. And it's all right. You know, it's it's still fair because everyone's getting something for it. Yes, and I think we'll we'll cover this a bit more when we go move on to glory. But actually, having people and situations that make that honor score feel good is also going to make it feel like a reward. So it's it, it's all very well having high honor just sitting there on your on your character sheet, but having a situation where that comes into the fore and that helps you, that is going to make that that honor gain feel better. So we talked about honor in terms of a reward. So maybe we should talk about glory in terms of a reward. Yeah, I think that's, of the of the three, I think that's probably the one that, that comes across most as a reward. Honor is, is very internal as to whether or not how you feel about yourself. Status is going to be awarded. But glory is you did a thing and everyone's talking about you and that's awesome. I think that's one of the, of those the three social stats. That's the big one for awarding glory because uh, you do mighty deeds and people start talking about you and your glory goes up. <laughs> Even if you are a Ronin scum, absolutely. I Maybe mean, especially if you are. <laughs> well, yeah, Miyamoto Masashi was became very very famous, and he was a Ronin for quite a lot of that. So exactly. Hmm. So glory. Uh, Generally, you would want to award glory at the end of the adventure or after word of your PC's heroism has has spread in some fashion. Um, but everybody's always watching. That's one thing in Rokugan. Everybody is keeping an eye on you and gossiping about you. So, so it can spread quickly. <laughs> one thing that can happen is that if you are awarding generously on the glory front, which is great, uh, you can end up more famous than the emperor, which, you know, it has the same problem of this scale. Um, Honor in, or glory in the past did not uh, quite have the same uh, diminishing returns in some ways that Honor did. But one thing that they did in Heroes of Rokugan that works is you can have a glory score penalty at the beginning of a new adventure when there's been a significant downtime because you lose glory when you are not in the public eye. You're you're sitting at home, people have stopped talking about you and gone on to the next big hero. So, you know, it will be typical to have a penalty maybe of even half a rank or something between adventures yeah. For, fourth ed had that it had a if, it, a penalty if you hadn't done anything that got you a glory bonus in a week i can't remember a week or a month something in this time period if you haven't done something that boosted your glory your glory went down a bit so that makes sense you know unless you're not unless you're constantly out in the in the public eye you will gradually you know lose the interest 
Well, I'm, I'm sure your PCs are all going to be doing interesting things. Uh, so, obviously, you don't get glory for things that people don't hear about. So, if you're being sneaky-peaky, people won't necessarily hear about your mighty deeds. Having said that, rumors do get out. So, minor glory rewards be about three, major six, and a massive nine. So that's the kind of scale you're looking at. And if you resolve a giddy, which is a specific duty given to you by a lord, that can give you a large boost, up to 10 or possibly even more. Yeah, so so that's a big big motivation for uh, resolving those, those gearies, which you are supposed to want to do anyway. We talked a little bit about an honor penalty between campaigns. Another thing that you might want to think about so that you don't become more famous than the emperor, though, you know, if you want to, that's fine, is thinking or considering glory diversity with regards to extremely high glory characters. So this would again be like 65 or 80 glory characters. People want to be entertained. If you are a famous duelist who has one much glory for their duels, and you win yet another duel, it's not different. It's not new. It's not uh, It's not going to bring you a, a whole lot of new glory. Um, if you are a famous gift giver and you give yet another awesome gift, okay, great. It's another awesome gift. Have you outdone yourself? No, then it's, then it's old news. So people have an expectation that... They will do the thing that they're famous for, and that means they'll get less glory for doing that exact thing. And if they fail in that specific thing that they are normally getting glory for, that is even bigger failure because you're the famous duelist and you lost. You must suck, you know, (laughs) and he gets more glory for it. Um, However, if you are the famous duelist and you do something different that would earn you a bunch of glory, that's not necessarily dueling, you would get the full full measure of your your glory. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes absolute sense. I mean, this would be for people who are very quite already very high glory, but absolutely, this is this is exactly the sort of thing that kind of you are unlikely to just keep going and going and going. It's, It's when you get super famous, it's harder to get even more super famous. So you can think about rewarding them. You can still reward them if they do something other than their their normal thing that is, you know, extra glorious. Like that that courtier who's famous in court suddenly, you know, got involved with a fight with an Oni. Well, that sort of thing only happens in RPGs, but this is an RPG. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so that would be uh, very glorious. Yeah, yeah. So... Generally, unless one player character is trying to stay out of the spotlight, generally I think most most of your PCs are going to be about the same. So you don't, I don't, you probably aren't going to have the problem of one character having hugely more glory than the other. Uh, as with honor, losses of glory should be broadcast ahead of time. They should know this is going to cost you some glory if you do this. This is going to besmirch your reputation. But gains don't have to be. And then I have to be explained ahead of time. And maybe they shouldn't be. Maybe that's one of the, the fun ones to be, you know, given unexpectedly. And also, as with honor, especially, I think, especially with glory, having people go, oh, I've heard of you. Gosh, all your amazing adventures. I think that's a thing you, you want to throw in from time to time. 
so that people really feel the impact of getting all that glory and, and getting those rewards and, and reminding them of the cool things they've done, actually, as well. So I think that's a, a really good, important part of rewarding a player is giving them that recognition. Indeed. So we kind of talked about uh, glory in terms of a reward, but the third social stat that L5R has uh, that could potentially be considered a reward is status. And status is different than glory. Generally, status seems to go along with uh, your role as a PC, what, what your job is, what you're doing for your lord or for your clan or for the empire. It should generally be awarded, I think, as a lump sum that shifts a PC from one role to another. So it comes with a job change. This would be between campaigns or um, it, it wouldn't happen in the middle of an adventure. Uh, it would be unlikely to anyway. It would, it, would be a, it would be a role change. You're doing a different job. It is often, but it's not required to be accompanied by a title. Um, we'll talk about titles as rewards later. But a, a bodyguard for a low-rank courtier who gets a promotion to now act as a bodyguard for, you know, a high-ranking Kuge, they're still a bodyguard. They're still, they're still your Jimbo title, but this is a really significant jump in status. So that's kind of, that's kind of key when you're thinking about that. I think, I think one of the biggest differences is that honor and glory are directly influenced by the character's actions. So you do a thing and the GM says, oh, well, that'll cost you honor or that'll cost you glory. Or you do a thing and the GM says, oh, well done, get some honor and glory. Whereas status is not directly related to what you do. It's something that generally non-player characters decide. They decide, okay, I want you to be doing this job which gives you some status or you or you know, like a marriage is is arranged for your character and that's going to give you status so I, I, that's it, it's a different style of reward to those yeah it is and it and it's also individual like like honor in that it it won't happen to the whole group at once very often you can have your perfectly flat uh, emerald magistrate group pro you know advancing along potentially in status but that would be very odd um it would more often be you know one gets promoted to emerald magistrate like they recently did in in crimson gold agonies our our actual play podcast and and the rest are yuriki so that's you know it status changes especially big ones change the party dynamics yeah, very much so. And and that's okay, uh, especially in L5R, but you, you want to make sure that your whole party can work with the dynamics as they're set up. You know, you, you want to have the right player be your high status <laughs> player. Uh, it's, it's something the group needs to be aware of and the group needs to work with because if one character does have that extra status and theoretically is now in charge... That's that is that is a very different dynamic to everyone's just a, a group who are all working together. 
and uh, so you, I think you need to be aware of that, and so do you, so do you players. But it can work fine. I mean, I've played in games like that, and it can work just fine. Oh, absolutely, it can work great. Just, just, just things to think about. Going right along with status, of course, which we just talked about, is, is titles because titles can be used to signify a new job which the status goes along with. A lot of titles award a block of status as they uh, as you get them, but they don't have to, and they can be anything. They're really, really useful, though. They're really nice. I love titles. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, they can be used for an awful lot of things. The interesting thing is you get bonuses to start off with. Then you get the fact that they open up a bunch of curriculum things that you might not get in your standard curriculum. And then there's the actual ability that you get if you manage to spend all the XP and and actually gain you know, gain the full title. The thing you need to keep in mind is that by the rules, you can only have one in-progress title at a time. And technically, there isn't a method of dropping a title that you've already put XP into. So that's a thing. Going along with the status, yeah, you very often get a title. And they can be awesome rewards. Right. Um, They are so useful that many games do seem to, that I've seen run, seem to account for titles at the beginning. They let you flavor the characters a little bit more and open choices and variations up. So so I've seen quite a few games start where everybody kind of gets a title at the beginning. Uh, but not every PC will want a title. Um, although they are cool and open up options, if people are really digging their core curriculum, they don't want to spend um, experience points into a title. So uh, negotiate it with it. Even if you don't want something at the start, you they have a big flavor on how your character plays out, okay? Because it's got a whole curriculum, it's got experience, it's got good abilities. So if you want to take your character in a certain direction and you're not getting a title at the beginning, um, it is a good thing to talk about with your GM saying, hi, someday I want to be a Emerald Magistrate. Show me the road to get there. You know, that's what I want to do. Or I want to be a Castilian or I want to be, you name it, a witch hunter. Show me, show me the road to get there. Yeah, absolutely. So that I can someday get that title. Which is a good Good idea for, in general, just kind of uh, explain, make sure the GM knows the trajectory you want your character to be on, but specifically for titles, given given how much of an impact that can have, yeah. Right. Uh, it's a good as an adventure or short campaign reward. Um, I would think it would be awarded at the end or between sessions or on a big climactic moment in, in play. Um you can think, you know, especially if that climactic moment can be followed sometime after with a downtime for training in your new title. Those are all, all good things. Um, but but they're a big deal to get, and they're a lot of fun to get. I like them. Uh, one thing that you, especially if you, if you have a situation where you have a campaign and you want the PCs to start with a title, and you want to give them a reward, 
and you want them to advance in their title, and they're not advancing in their title. And there's the way that titles are set up, this is pretty common because um, title XP doesn't go towards ranking you. So if you want to go up in your ranks, you ignore the title and put your, <laughs> put your XP in your school. Absolutely. I mean, you've, you've already got, you got the curricular access from the title if you want it, but if it's not giving you something that's different to your core curriculum, then you might think, why bother? Yeah. So a lot of titles never go finished because of that or take a really, really long time to finish. Um, if you want to have your PCs potentially advance in their titles um, or you want to reward your PCs for doing things associated with their titles, that's a great time to have title-specific bonus XP. So you can keep your overall party rank the same. It doesn't hurt the party rank at all to do this, but you can reward, you know, special role play, special tasks, note taking, uh, doing title specific activities like, I don't know, spying if you're a spy or, uh, you know, yojimboing if you're a yojimbo by awarding title specific XP that then allows the PCs to advance in the title without sacrificing or altering the uh, the main line of their development. I, and I think this is uh, good for those really hard to reach or expensive titles that you will never actually achieve you know, before rank six because you can't. So, so that's a that's a good kind of reward related to titles that uh, you can use to, that that doesn't uh, mess with party level. Mm -hmm. So we've had a look at honor, glory, and status, and also titles to do with rewards. So those are kind of like the social aspects of Rockigan in terms of things you can give to your players as rewards. So let's have a bit of a look at some slightly more, shall we say, earthly rewards for your players. And we're going to start off by looking at good old-fashioned koku, good old-fashioned cash, which supposedly is not something you're, you're somewhere meant to be all that fussed about. It's not meant to be a major aspect of the lives that they consider or see as being too important, which is often very strange from our modern Western point of view where everything has a dollar value. <laughs> but still, you know, that will occasionally be a reward. So, Especially if you're playing a Ronin. And especially if you're playing a Ronin. It, it is very different if you're playing a clan samurai versus if you're playing a Ronin or a very low-ranking samurai. Because it can be all very well to have the aspiration to not care about money, but not caring about money is something that only very rich people can generally do. <laughs> <laughs> I think that um, Koku is the realm of the hymen, uh, and, you know, we've talked about it for Ronin. Uh, but a samurai or anybody doing tasks for hymen uh, could potentially be rewarded in terms of koku. These could be tasks for merchants who want you to go do something, or the extremely grateful peasants whose village you saved, uh, they can they can give you this stuff. So, um, you know, it keeps your ronin alive, but it's nice to have some extra money around for, for your samurai too, especially if you're a poor dragon. Absolutely. And it doesn't necessarily 
need to be actual physical coins, especially if you're talking about your 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 Ronin game. You can have stuff like, you know, here have this chicken, here have this food, which you can translate into Koku. You can just say like they're just giving. We'll tr- just treat it as Koku on your character sheet. You don't need to like put chickens on your character sheet unless you want to. <laughs> but it can be flavoured less. Yeah, just assume you can trade it further online or next time you, you barter food, some of it is actually just cooking the chicken you got or whatever. Like, but it can also be baskets, it can be saddles, it can be, you know, clothes, it can be all sorts of stuff. And it's just to flavor it so it's not necessarily everyone just gives you cash because a lot of folks, especially out in the, the rural areas, didn't really deal with coinage that often. But at the same time, you don't necessarily want to be, you know, writing down every single item you got given. So you can you can kind of mix and match whether or not it's straight up cash. Like a merchant will probably give you straight up cash, but a farmer might mm-hmm. not. Right. I like Koku for uh, a general fund for the party. Uh, so uh, rather than if if I'm giving out Koku, um, you yes, I can give that chicken directly to you, or I can use it as a party fund that then can go pay for, even if you're samurai, special special occasions. Like you really want to have the uh, beach and sake episode. Uh, no, um, the bath and sake episode. <laughs> where you, 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 you are all going to the most luxurious ryokan in town and enjoying the bathhouses and having a feast. Um, that's, a, that's a special thing. Um, not necessarily 100% you know, approved by your Lord. But, you know, if you've got, if you've been doing stuff and people have been rewarding you with, you know, doing them favors, oh, great samurai, thank you so much for saving your village. Um, you know, that, that can go into a fund and then you can fund your, your beach party episode, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> it can translate into items, but usually the item costs are so high and the the kind of inventory you're talking about is... It's not it. I, I like it for you know, funding the night at the Ryokan. Yeah, I mean, I mean, theoretically, individuals can get cash money, but I think it's that should probably more of a a group thing would be better. But yeah, I mean, and again, it does very much depend on what level you're playing at. Ronin games are going to may well be counting every zenny, whereas a <laughs> you, you know clan game you may not bother with that at all. It may not. It may literally not be a reward. If you if they're playing a high level clan game, so we talked about rewards in terms of Koku, but uh, if we're really getting into our 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 D and D roots, we want special items. We want we want the good stuff. We want the magic, all kinds of special items. Um, yeah, I'll I'll admit to be some being somewhat conflicted on this because to me getting overly concerned with magic swords I think runs a little counter to honestly a lot of what makes Legend of the Five Rings Legend of the Five Rings so I you know th- there have been discussions on on the various forums and, and the discord about this and people I really want the magic sword and I kind of not quite sure I just it, I mean it's not how I play the game it's not why I play the game but I do understand that that for some people it is quite important and you do have the thing of 
Doji, what is his name? Uh, Doji Kawanon running around with, what's the name of the sword? I should know. What, Omeka. Oh, Omeka. I, I don't know. That, that is a pretty powerful sword. I think that that's a little breaking. But everybody plays their own way. Absolutely. So so if you see one of the high-ranking PC, high-ranking mentioned characters wandering around with a, a fancy schmancy sword. I understand you wanting a fancy schmancy sword. And why shouldn't you get one? <laughs> but you don't have to start in terms of special items with fancy schmancy swords. And in fact, I think, I mean, everyone's going to play their own way, but I think that that is like end game kind of stuff. Special items. When, where are you going to get them from? Or who should, should, who should be awarding them out? I think that in general, special items are going to come from higher status samurai or from monks, religious figures, because this is magic, shigenja, supernatural beings of some types, that kind of thing. These, these are generally the people that you would bow to <laughs> if you knew who they were anyway. Yeah. Um. They tend to work best when they are, unlike unlike Koku, which can be easily pulled for the whole party, they're kind of targeted towards the individual because they're, um, you know, people will want something uh, done. Unlike Dungeons & Dragons, what you don't want is, hi, we found this stash of five magic items, and now we have to have an argument about who's the best person to carry this magic item. That is so not the way L5R works. If So these, this you want, if, for special items, you kind of want it to be given to the person it works best for. Um, but keep an eye out so that one person doesn't end up with all the good stuff, too. So you just kind of have to balance that as a game master. Keep, keep track of it. And each item, it should be an interesting story point if you can make it that. You know, so the idea that you can just pick up a plus one sword is kind of tedious. But if you can pick up a you know a special blessing from the shrine of seven thunders and that is going to do i mean that that automatically sounds more interesting when you put it that way so ideas kind of this is my ideas for things you do you don't have to start with major swords <laughs> even though that might be what you think about um so i would kind of use this scale in terms of rewards and start small and then work your way up. <laughs> um, single use normal items that are hard to come by and can be used creatively um, are good rewards uh, for smaller campaigns like herbal medicine, good stuff. Uh, Metsubushi, which is blinding powder. I like incense clocks, which is a stick of incense you burn and can tell time and you know allow you to sync your party's movements together that's that's a cool thing plus incense is a great gift um jade arrows or smoke arrows are are normal items but they're rare um special tea or or sake that you know, it could be a make you know a, a a gift, or you know potentially give you a bonus in a tea ceremony or other special occasion. Uh, candy that can be used to bribe a kid, 
all that good stuff. I also, I mean, stuff that can be used as part of gift giving is always neat because then it's not just here's a thing, it's here's a thing and here's the story behind it. Here's how I got it. Here's how it's personal and which makes it a better gift. And that is all just weaving into the story and, and just making everything just seem more connected and, and part of something interesting. I really, really, I really, really like that stuff. And even if, even if you have the lovely tea and you just, you just, you're not doing a, a tea ceremony. You're just having a, you know, we're going to sit down and have some tea. Oh, let's get that lovely tea we got from that monk on that mountain after we dealt with that spirit. And I think that that, that can really, really add a lot of stuff to the game. Yes. Also, you kind of need a stream of these things coming in for a party shiginja because they turn them around and use them as offerings to the kami when they're doing an invocation. Yeah. Uh, uh, so they, they should have things that they can offer, like, freely. So you need a way to give it to them. Yeah, and, and now you've got things that have some kind of special significance that can be used for exactly that. There are also other things, single-use items, things like omamori, uh, Sangusuri, single-use meishodo wards, shikigami, uh, jade petal tea, obsidian ink, that kind of thing. Those are, those are neat, neat, fun things. So they are still single-use, but they are magical. These are, these are more than normal. They actually will add a... They will, they will cast an invocation. They will uh, give you a, a bonus, a special blessing. Um, th this is the magic stuff. Yeah, yeah, they'll they'll stop that one hit from that oni. Right. And so when, when you really need it. <laughs> or or they'll give you a free reroll. Yeah. You know, yeah. For, for something. These are these are these are great items to have in play and you know, watch your players sweat as they decide when they are going to use them depending on how how much they hoard them. Absolutely. So and that's that's totally legit and cool. Because especially if you don't have a whole lot of magic in your campaign, then that ward is really special when you get to use it. Absolutely. Uh, there, are also, there are also normal but quite rare items, things that you can technically just buy or get, you know, from, get issued. But a spyglass from Unicorn Lands... That's a neat thing. It's technically normal, but it's fairly rare, and it's going to be relatively unique. Armor that isn't necessarily like giving a huge bonus, but it has that special look. It is crafted by a particular craftsperson. You know, it's got its own little bit of story behind it. Weapons that look just that little bit different maybe have a, a quality, or even just hard to get ones. So, you know, hard, rarer ones, like not everybody can get uh, a full, you know, crabby suit of plate. I can't remember what they called it. It begins with an O. Uh, armor uh, from character generation. If you got awarded one and you were bushy, that's, that's pretty cool. You can't just go out and buy that stuff. And your lord is not going to just issue one because you say please. So if you want one, that sounds like a good item to be rewarded with rather than, you know, save up your pocket money for. The, the, those really high, high rarity things that are just hard to get any other way. 
Um, there's also the possibility of getting GM-enhanced special items. So we have patterns uh, for weapons and armor, but you can also, as a GM, make up non-armor or what non-weapon armor or patterns that provides bonuses in non-combat things, like in courts. This would be maybe a fan or a special kimono that gives bonuses to your perceived glory for a while. Um, maybe a, you know, the winter court season. Hi, you, you, you sexy thing, you, in your, in your fancy kimono. Or maybe you have a little statue of a fortune that gives a bonus to meditation when you're meditating on it. Or, you know, non-combat related special items, I would say, are kind of even better than rare normal items uh, and, and can be quite, quite big. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they, they're really good fun. They're really good fun. Um, and and I, often, I often find that the non-combat stuff just feels a bit more flavorful very often because I, I suspect because you're using them in a social scene, you bring out those aspects of them when you, when you use them, you just naturally. The, the, the ideas for the scale of them, well, the patterns used for weapons and armor give you a good idea of what would be appropriate. These are non-magical, but they're GM-enhanced special items in general. Um, so you look in the shadows books and you see the patterns and they give minor bonuses. Um, of course, patterned weapons and armor are also maybe even more desired. Um, so, you know, that could be, you know, the next thing, thing up if you want is you can have your patterned uh, Caillou blade or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Kikita pattern, all those, all those different other patterns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, in the Shadowlands books are signature scrolls. So this would be really pretty awesome for your Shiginja. They allow a PC to spend XP to learn an enhancement to a spell effect. Since once they are learned, they cannot be lost. If you spend the XP on them, these, you know, these are very powerful. Um, probably more powerful than a patterned weapon or armor in that they, once they're spent anyway, they can't be taken away. Which is a, a big, a big thing. <laughs> they can't break. And finally, we start getting into the magic items, the minor Nemur and I, minor magic items of all sorts. I think the difficulty here is that there isn't much in the way of guidelines here on... No, there's a little on the Asahina Artisan, but it doesn't... Yeah, there's there's really no no good design. So this is totally freeform up to the GM. Um, yes. You need to be careful with them because they're the, they're the ultimate. They're, they're the like, ultimate thing. Uh, it looks like weapons are often bound with inversions or invocations. Yeah, and if you want to go super crazy, there are the Path of Waves, Ivory Kingdoms, the Celestial Weapons, and uh, yeah, they have the potential to very unbalanced things, but but also be uh, completely awesome. So it was it, it's going to depend on what your PCs have been up to, I suspect. Yep, so those are kind of 
items as gear as rewards. Gear as it's not loot. You're not te- you 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 shouldn't be picking these off the bodies of your enemies. If you're going to reward any of these in a combat off the bodies of your enemies situation, you know, making it, making it clear that, you know, you have the Burakum and bring it all cleaned up to you. Um and then having your lord say you can keep it or, or something like that is it's a good way to to think about that. So if you defeat the guy with a magic sword, then, you know, the Burakuman should bring you the magic sword and um, you should take it to your lord. And your lord says, yes, you may have the magic sword as a reward for your valorious service. You are clearly the best steward for this weapon. Yeah, that that's just the flavor for it. Um, but other than loot, the traditional thing that often came in L5R when you know, loot was a no-no was allies. I mean, it doesn't sound like a reward. It's like, yeah, oh, so there's this person. But the fact is this person is very much on your side and will help you when circumstances require it. I mean, that, that can be really super powerful. Especially in a social game like Legend of Five Rings, having someone on your side at a crucial moment can be worth a dozen magic swords. I think that they they can either be offered at the end of an adventure if you're doing an adventure for someone, but they are often kind of during play, especially during social play after you help someone out or um, win someone over to your side um, after an intrigue or something like that. You do want to make sure that there's the opportunity for the PCs to call on them. Or at least yes. remember that they have this ally. That's a big problem for campaigns is you make an ally and you forget about they them. disappear. Yeah, yeah. You, 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 they tend to be like on the back of the character sheet and not on the front. So it's very easy to forget about them, which is a, a, a bit sad, really. Or you never go there I again. Think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we we have these great allies in Rokurawari. Pity we haven't been anything like within 400 miles of it in the last year. But if we ever do get there, then, oh, they all love us there. Probably because we haven't been there, actually, now we're thinking about it. <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking my <laughs> player characters, I've, groups I've been in. <laughs> they love us there we're ne- That's because we're never there. Yeah. So just keep aware that an awesome ally they can never call on is not really that exciting and and again in a very social situation you know rock gang can be in uh letter writing is a thing and so an ally can actually be helpful by mail yeah in if you ever use the influence games you can find the influence game which i've talked about here before which is on the winter garden of the kikita website um allies will do things like give you recommendations to get into a winter court Mm. So you know, Very you can earn influence and stuff and buy your entry into places by getting letters of recommendation, which come from allies. Letters of introduction to important people who you need to influence and you can't get in to even see them. But your your high ranking ally who you haven't seen because I've been 400 miles next to Ryokiwara in the last year, but they can still write a letter and say, hey, you should give this person your time of day. And that can be a, a very good use of an ally. Yep. So, you know, make sure your players are aware of that. Players, make sure you're aware that you can use allies in that way. 
and they can be to a group or the role or an individual, depending on the role play and the circumstances under which they were made. There are also the ability to get techniques outside of the normal curriculum. For example, if you happen to do a particularly good favor for someone who turns out to be a Tengu in disguise, <laughs> then they may be able to offer you the ability to learn a technique you wouldn't ordinarily be able to learn, either because you don't have the prerequisites, you don't normally have that in your curriculum, or in some cases because you're not that high level yet, but because they are a Tengu, maybe they can help you. And it comes in two flavors because there's the one where this gives the PC the access to the technique. You can now spend XP on this technique, which you would not ordinarily be able to do. And that's actually pretty cool. That's like just the ability to do that is quite neat. Uh, but there are circumstances where it would make sense for the trainer to just allow you just the PC just gets the technique without even spending the XP depending on the exact set of circumstances. So that is going to be, that would probably be the higher tier version, but that is also another option. And and you could potentially put a technique in a item or something like that for that kind of thing. Yes, that is another possibility. Uh, in a, you might, yeah, it might be your reward is the skill scroll, the scroll that was written down by the ancient masters, this, this technique, and now you can study it. Or it could be literally in an item that allows you to, while you've got the item, you can use that technique. So those are pretty, those are pretty cool. Uh, uh, not every technique is useful to every PC. So uh, they tend to be individualistic uh, and trained by a specific NPC or, or, or something like that. So, uh, but it's always key, neat to get access to something you couldn't normally get. So I like that. Um, let's see. So that's that's techniques. Of course, the final thing that you might want as loot uh, is honestly a secret base. <laughs> well, if it was a superhero campaign, it would be a secret base. Basically, a homestead, a village, a building, even potentially your own vassal family or minor clan uh, that the PCs can use to make their own, um, that they can become... A, a community, a family. So that's really fun when it's shared, uh, but that depends on your group cohesion and if you can work the base together. But you get to do interior decorating. Which is always a plus. Uh, it's also a great source of adventures and just all sorts of fun things and, and reasons to get the player characters to do things. Mm-hmm. Which is another, which is a road in, in and of itself, honestly. Right, and I've been working on. A, it's almost ready to go live, but I've been working on a, a, a prosperity system for how to play and adventure and and uh, even and even rule over yeah. communities. So maybe in the future I'll talk about that here. <laughs> yeah. Once I get it spiffed up. <laughs> But I think that's it. We've talked about all kinds of loot. Every kind of loot. Every kind of loot, different types of rewards. Um, and I think there are a whole bunch of ideas in there for everyone to use in their games and for players to start to think about, is that the sort of thing I want? And therefore, how can I, how should I go about getting it? 
And I think that can be a, a great source of character motivation. That's it for us for this week. Um, wanted to give a call out to our Court Games Network, including the L5R LCG podcast and our two actual play role-playing podcasts, Crimson Gold Agonies and Fortune and Strife, as well as our friends at D20 Radio. Our content is funded by the Community Discord Patreon, which supports our editing costs, as well as our website, which is where we store our longer-form information, summaries of our podcasts, RPG tools, and more. For our patrons, we have other bonuses, including Adventure Seeds, early access to our actual play podcasts, and other things as we think of them. Online, you can find us at our website, which is courtgamespod.com. On Twitter, you can find us at twitter.com courtgamespod, and on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash courtgames. Yep, and that's it for us this week. This is Kakita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I've been Korva. Until we meet again, keep your jade handy.